Welcome, guys. We're so glad you're worshiping with us, uh, and we're, we're going to dive into Haggai this morning. You know, one of, the, one of the difficulties of preaching through the 12 minor prophets is just finding them in the Bible, isn't it? <laughs> we don't frequent them very much. So Haggai is hidden. If you're not looking for him, you'll miss him. He's only two chapters. Uh, you'll find him in between Zephaniah and Zechariah. Easiest way to get to him is to go to Matthew and take a left and go through Malachi, Zechariah, and then you'll get to Haggai. And again, he's only two chapters, so you might uh, skip over him. I'm so grateful that you're continuing to send in pictures. I got several yesterday of our 12th man towels. I want to show you some of the latest ones. We've got some we'll see next week. But here's some of the latest. Here's a young adult uh, on a camping trip sporting their 12th man towel. I think the next one's Miss Pam Rector after knee replacement surgery. First day back in the gym. This is a great, the gym is a great place to take these. So, well, anywhere you go, because what this is is a conversation starter, right? People are going to ask you, what's that about? Boom, get to the gospel. Easy, easy peasy. You can do this, no problem at all. Next picture, one of our students at fall retreat, I believe, just kind of hanging out, hanging there with his towel. And this, of course, is my new nephew. This is my new nephew. Some of y'all prayed for Joey. Uh, he had brain surgery, my brother, a couple, three years ago. And this is his son, this new, newborn. His name is Ivan, not Evan, E-V-A-N, but Ivan, E-V-I-N. And I'm, I'm so thankful that Ivan looks like his uncle. That's me. Some of you don't act like that's true. Haggai. I want to speak to you on the subject today when we dive into Haggai about the social media prophet. These two chapters of Haggai are four sermons. Somebody say four. Yeah, four sermons in two chapters. It's not a lot of room to have four sermons, right? They're kind of like just like you would see a post somewhere. They're, each one of them's dated. They have a specific date. Uh, so he dates these sermons. And there's four of them. So if you've arrived today and you're disappointed uh, with whatever in life or you're distracted or you're dissatisfied, or you're lonely, you've come on the right day. Because Haggai has a word for you, and he has a word for me, uh, this social media prophet, as he posts these four sermons, and it has quite a range. I mean, he's covering, he's rebuking the people of God, he's encouraging the people of God, he's instructing the people of God, and he's giving them hope. All in these two chapters. There's a, there's a lot to cover and we'll make it through. We've already, uh, we're hitting, uh, we're, we're batting two for two. So we'll go three for three uh, this morning. So Haggai is the social media uh, prophet. There was a post on social media this past week uh, that was described this way. Entirely by accident, uh, inadvertently supporting, unintentionally blessing. It was an accidental tweet in support of the football team, the New Orleans Saints. Uh, the Pope, Pope Francis, uh, tweeted this, Today we give thanks to the Lord for our new hashtag saints. Now he's talking about some five recognized newly saints, that uh, the Catholic Church, but Twitter threw up the little icon, the fleur-de-lis, because hashtag saints is more associated with the football team than the Catholic Church. So he inadvertently blessed the New Orleans Saints. Well, when we come to the book of Haggai, there is no question whether or not this prophet is explicitly, unapologetically, and aggressively blessing all the saints of God. Not just the saints of God who happen to be New Orleans saints, but every saint of God, every man, woman, boy, or girl who have come to Christ alone, by grace alone, through faith 
alone. Let me show you what I mean. Look at chapter 1, verse 13. Then Haggai, the messenger of the Lord, spoke to the people with the Lord's message. That's a good thing for the messenger of God to speak, is the Lord's message. (laughs) And so he did, and this was it. I am with you, declares the Lord. Chapter 2, verse 4. Yet now be strong, O Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Be strong, O Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord. Work, for I am, what does it say, church? I'm with you, (laughs) declares the Lord of hosts. And in verse 5, he he goes on to say, According to the covenant that I made with you when you came out of Egypt, my spirit remains in your midst, fear not. And so this is a great promise from God today. We're going to look at, and it's our takeaway today, and I can say it is simple. I don't know how I can say it any more simple than this, that God is present with his people. Say that with me, church. God is present with his people. Say it again. God is present with his people. Now say it like you're saved. God is present with his people. Yes, that's a great promise. I can't think of a, a greater promise in all of Scripture than that God is present with his people. So what we're going to do today is we're going to look at these four sermons and we're going to pull six implications from these four messages of Haggai to the people of God. Here's the first implication for us today. Disobedience always leads to dissatisfaction. If Christ is not first place in your life, if you are not seeking first the kingdom of God and all his righteousness, let me say this to you, you will never be satisfied. You'll never be satisfied. If you are busying yourself with yourself, you will never be satisfied. And that's what Haggai is saying to the people of God. That's what the people of God are experiencing here on this day. Well, what day is it? Look at chapter 1, verse 1. In the second year of Darius the king, in the sixth month, on the first day of the month. This is, the the date on our calendar would be August the 29th, 520 B.C. And on this day, uh, the word of the Lord came to Haggai, the prophet, to Zerubbabel, the governor, he was a leader, and also uh, Judah, or Joshua, son of Jehozadak, he's the high priest, so he has a word for the two leaders. So look at verse 2. Thus says the Lord of hosts, these people say the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. Now what's going on? What's the context? Here's what's happening. Haggai is the first prophet, somebody say the first He's the first minor prophet to preach to the people after they've returned from exile. So they've already been in exile, 538 B.C. They come back to Jerusalem, and they immediately start rebuilding the temple. They only get the foundation built, and then they have opposition, and so they stop. And for 16 years, from 536 B.C. to 520 B.C., nothing has happened. Well, nothing has happened on the temple. They're building their own houses right? But they're, they're busying themselves with themselves, but nothing's happening at the temple. Nothing for 16 years. And so here comes Haggai. I was reading about a preacher by the name of David Morgan from Wales who reminded me a bit of Haggai, and I'll speak to you more about him uh, in a moment. So here comes Haggai, and notice what Haggai says to him. These people say the time has not yet come. Now, can, can I say this? How many of you know that in our culture today, we live in a culture where everything offends somebody? You know that? And somebody's offended by everything, right? <laughs> or everyone's offended by something. You can say it like that. And so do you know that living in this culture where everything offends somebody, 
and everyone's offended by something, that if you say to a group of people, you people, right, that's not going to go very well for you, is it? Right? So God doesn't say my people. He says these people. These people. Why? Because they're not acting like God's people. Now understand who he's talking to. He's talking, Ezra tells us it's 50,000 of them who have come back from exile. 50,000. These are the faithful that said, yes, I'll go back and rebuild the temple. So these are not unfaithful people initially. They're the people of God. They're faithful. They're the remnant. So they go to rebuild the temple, but they get distracted and they get discouraged and they get disappointed and they're dissatisfied. So the work stops. They just stop. And so God gives Haggai a word for them and he says, these people say the time has not yet come. Let me translate that to our day. Uh, we would use a phrase like this, I need to pray about that, okay? All that is is an excuse. Yes, there's some things you need to pray about, absolutely. I'd encourage you to pray about some things. There are some things you need to pray about, but things we don't need to pray about are those that are clear in Scripture, amen? If it's clear in Scripture, we don't need to pray whether or not we need to be the Lord's witness, right? You are my witnesses, says the Lord. We don't need to pray about, do we need to be making disciples? And yeah, that's clear in Scripture. Or praying, or reading the Word, or gathering and assembling with the uh, fellow believers. We, we don't have to, well, let me pray about that. No, you don't have to, okay? There's some things you need to pray about, but this was not something that needed to be prayed over or about. They needed to rebuild the temple. It was time to rebuild the temple. So look at verse 3. The Word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet, is it time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses while this house lies in ruins? So from verse 4, 5, and 6, 11 times the Word of God uses the personal pronoun you. Why? Because these people were busying themselves with themselves. And so he uses this language, this pronoun. Is it time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses? Now therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways, not somebody else's ways, Examine your priorities, search your heart, consider your ways. You have so much, harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages does so to put them into a bag with holes. In other words, nobody's satisfied. Everybody's living for themselves, and none of them are satisfied. Do you see that? Yeah, they're busying themselves with themselves, and no one is satisfied. Benjamin Franklin said it like this, he that is good at making excuses is seldom good for anything else. I would say he that is good at making excuses is good at making nothing else. Is your life marked with excuses and procrastination and is it marked with indifference toward the things of God? You say, well, Pastor, I don't have time for the things of God. I don't have time for the purposes of God. I'm, I'm always trying to play catch-up. Well, the reason you're playing catch-up might be because you don't have time for the things of God. You say, well, I can't give my tithes and offerings because I, I don't have excess financially right now. The reason you don't have excess financially is you're not giving your tithes and offerings. That's why. That's how this works. Right? If you don't make him and his kingdom first, you'll never be satisfied. And so they have bags with holes in, holes in them. Uh, they're never warm, never full, never satisfied. And so God gives them a word through this prophet Haggai. And here's the bottom line. Delayed obedience is disobedience. 
Divided obedience is disobedience. Partial obedience is disobedience. Saying not yet, you might as well be saying not ever. Because if you're waiting to get it together, to get it together, you're never going to get it together. You can forget about it. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. Make Christ the first priority in your life. Why? Because disobedience always leads to dissatisfaction. Number two, picking up at verse 7, we see that unfaithfulness always leads to frustration. Anybody in here frustrated, disappointed? Uh, Listen to verse 7. Thus says the Lord God of hosts, again, consider your ways. Go up to the hills, bring wood, build the house, that I may take pleasure in it, that I may be glorified. So here's what he's saying. Get the wood, get to work, so I can be glorified. It's time to build the temple. It's time to get to it. It's time to get to work. Man, Haggai had a word for these people in that day. And he has a word for us today. We're not to build a temple. We're to busy ourselves with a great commission, taking the gospel to all nations, making disciples of all nations, busying ourselves with his kingdom, not our own, not our personal agenda, but his, making ourselves ready for his coming. So unfaithfulness never leads to flourishing, always leads to frustration, disobedience, leads to dissatisfaction. But here's some good news. Look at number three. And again, we're still in this first sermon. Okay, this is sermon one. So look at verse 12 through 15. Or rather, look back at verse 9. Uh, here's some more of their frustration. You look for much, and behold, it came to little. And when you brought it home, it, I blew it away. Why, declares the Lord God, because my house, it lies in ruins, while each of you busies himself with his own house. Therefore, the heavens above you have withheld the dew, and the earth has withheld its produce. And I've called for a drought on the land, and the hills, on the grain, and the new wine, the oil. No more essential oils. No more of that oil. What, the essential oil is that whatever oil they use to cook those waffle fries at Chick-fil-A. No more Chick-fil-A waffle fries. On what the ground brings forth on man and beast and on all their labor. So God has put a drought on land and labors. Nothing's happening. There's dissatisfaction. There's, there's frustration. All because of disobedience. It's all because they're not obeying the voice of the Lord. Then comes verse 12. Look at this. And here's our third implication. Our repentance always leads to God's response. Look at verse 12. Then Zerubbabel, the son of Shiltiel, uh, and Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, with all the remnant of the people, obeyed the voice of the Lord their God. Can you believe that? Can you believe that Haggai had a word from God, he delivered it, and the people responded? They obeyed the voice of the Lord. David Morgan was that preacher from Wales I was telling you about. David Morgan uh, preached for, for several I mean, preached many years, and he didn't see a lot of fruit from his faithful preaching. But he said that one day he experienced a, a, an unction from the Lord. And, and in his own words, he described it uh, in this way. He said, there was a day, one night I went to bed like a lamb, and I woke up like a lion. And God's unction was just on him. And for two years, he preached. Thousands upon thousands of people were saved. Revival broke out in Wales. And he said, and then one night after that season was over, he went to bed like a lion and he woke up like a lamb. It's just God's unction. I can think of Jonathan Edwards. He, he preached the sermon, the, in, uh, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God, be, w- the first time, and it just fell flat. The second time he preached it, God's unction was on him, and uh, the, it was during the Great Awakening. 
There are times when God will take somebody ordinary and for a special work and a special time, just anoint them and give them unction. And so here's Haggai, this, this prophet as he was known as, and all of a sudden he stands up, he delivers the word of the Lord, and everybody obeys. Everybody, the, the, the Zerubbabel, uh, the priest, all the remnant of the people, they heard the word of the Lord, they heard the voice of the Lord, and they obeyed. How many of you know that preaching is still effective? Teaching God's word is still effective. Having gospel conversations is still effective. That God uses his word to penetrate hearts. Someone told me last Sunday that they heard it put this way. When we speak the name of Jesus, Jesus speaks. Right? The gospel speaks. And people hear it and some are going to obey it. And so they obeyed the voice of the Lord in the words of Haggai the prophet as the Lord their God had sent him. And the people feared the Lord. Verse 13. Then Haggai the messenger of the Lord spoke to the people with the Lord's message. I am with you declares the Lord. God immediately responds to their repentance. He doesn't wait. He responds immediately. He tells them, hey, I am with you. I am with you. And the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel. Man, see, God, have you ever, have you ever been present somewhere but not, not really present there? Kind of like now you're here physically but you done checked out, right? <laughs> Maybe that ever happened to you? God doesn't do that. God doesn't say, I'm with you and then check out. No, he stirred them up. The spirit, it says, the spirit of the Lord, it stirred up Zerubbabel. It stirred up uh, the, the priest. It stirred up the remnant of the people. And they were all stirred up. And then notice what happens when revival breaks out. Unity happens. They're all working. Notice what it says. And, and they came and worked on the house of the Lord, verse 14, their God. So they are stirred up. They fear the Lord. They obey his voice. God is with them, stirring them up. They get on the same page, and they start work on the temple again. A great message of rebuke, repentance, and God responding to them. Uh, my brother, <laughs> he... Uh, this is his first child, Ivan, and oh, my brother. I could tell you some stories about Joey. Oh, my. We'll just say like the only Joey, okay? Uh, he, uh, one day in the hospital this past week, he was, um, I think the day before they left, he was in there in the room by himself with Ivan, and uh, his wife and her mother had gone to the gift shop just to take a walk. And so Joey said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take Evan for a walk. And so they got him in this hospital uh, baby cart thing in the room. He said, I'm just going to walk out in the hall with him, walk down the hall. Well, if you know anything about hospitals, you just don't do that, right? I mean, there's security. You don't do that. You don't take a baby and go walk through the hospital. So he takes the baby and leaves the room and walking down the hallway. And these nurses just like, I mean, they just converge. Sir, sir, get back in the room. Get that baby back in the room. And they came to him later and said, you were this close to locking down the hospital. I mean, you were that close to the hospital just locking. If you had taken a few more steps, it would just locked us all down. And, and, and you think about that, how we take great measures in security. Even here at our church, we have great measures of security for our children's ministry. We want our children to be secure. We want you to be confident in their security. We go to great measures that how, how much more greater lengths will God go to protect his children, to provide for his children, to rebuke his children, to instruct his children, to encourage them and give them hope. And that's what Haggai's word is for us today, that when you and I repent, God will respond. Isn't that good news, church? Number four. This is chapter 2. This is the second sermon. 
In the seventh month, on the 21st day of the month, the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet. Speak now to Zerubbabel, the son of Shiltiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and to all the remnant of the people. And here's what he's saying to him. Look at verse 3 in chapter 2. Who is left among you who saw this house in its former glory? How do you see it now? Is it not as nothing in your eyes? Now, what's going on here? Let me tell you what's going on. Former glory is the, is the temple during Solomon's day. Now, that was a wonder of the ancient world. If you saw Solomon's temple, you've seen something. I mean, they had the Ark of the Covenant in there. The Shekinah glory was there. The gems and the stones were there. I mean, man, it took 200,000 people to build that in seven years. It was a sight to see was the temple in Solomon's day. Today, they don't have the Shekinah glory anymore. That, is not, that, that hadn't appeared since. They don't have gems and stones. The Ark of the Covenant is gone. Indiana Jones can't even find it. They don't have that stuff anymore. They have limited resources. They only have 50,000 people. They don't have 200,000 people. And they're looking around at this work. They're looking at this pitiful foundation of a slab and thinking, how in the world is this ever going to compare to the days of Solomon? This will never compare. And so they look at this, and they're just discouraged. This monumental task is before them. There's only 50,000 people to do all this work, and they're just thinking there's no way this temple will ever be like it used to be. There's no way we can return to our heyday. There's no way we can go back to the golden years. There's just no way. And they're discouraged. And God points that out. Who of you see this and say, man, this is nothing? He nailed it. They are discouraged. They need some encouragement. So here's what God says to them. Have you ever faced a monumental task and just been discouraged? Maybe you're here today and your prayer is, God, just get these kids out of diapers, right? Just get them walking, Lord. Lord, deliver me from teenagers, right? Lord, just get them out of the house, Lord, right? Well, let me tell you something about raising kids and grandkids. I don't know much about it, but I know something about it. You're building more than what you see. Just know that. You're, you're shaping and forming these hearts with the gospel of Christ, and you're building more that you can see uh, physically, that we live by faith and not by sight. Maybe you have another monumental task at work or at school. You're trying to complete a goal you have at work or an educational goal or work goal, and you're saying, man, I'm just, I, I just don't see any light at the end of this tunnel. What's going to happen? Well, here, here's a word of encouragement. Look what God says. Uh, Yet now be strong, O Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Be strong, O Joshua. Be strong, all the people. So he starts at the top, goes, all the, everybody, be strong. Declares the Lord, work, for I'm with you, declares the Lord of hosts, according to the covenant that I made with you when you came out of Egypt. In other words, he's saying, remember the gospel. Remember my grace. I brought you out of Egypt. You didn't earn it. You didn't deserve it. I brought you out of slavery. That was an act of grace. Remember the gospel, church. When you face that monumental task, remember what Christ has overcome for you and for me. And we are more than conquerors in Christ. So be encouraged, not discouraged. He says, fear not, verse 6, for thus says the Lord of hosts, yet once more in a little while I'm going to shake the heavens, shake the earth, shake the sea, and I will shake all nations, and I love this in verse 7, so that the treasures of all the nations shall come in. And I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord of hosts. So it's not just for the Jews, it's for all nations. This glory of the Lord is coming to fill the earth. And look at verse 8. The silver is mine, the gold is mine, declares the Lord. Verse 9. This was an astounding statement in their day. The latter glory of this house shall be greater than the former. 
Now they're thinking to themselves, there's no way. There's no way this little bitty slab, this, this fraction of Solomon's temple is going to be any more glorious than Solomon's temple. There's no way. God, that ain't happening. You don't remember those golden years, those heydays, those days when, man, we just had all the favor of God upon us in those days and the Ark of the Covenant, the Shekinah glory, the gems, the gold, the silver, the sacrifices. What glorious days those were, those good old days, the way it used to be. It's not like that anymore. No, it's not. And God says the latter will be greater than the former. Now, how is that possible? Well, you got to keep reading, keep reading. And look at this. And in this place, I will give peace, declares the Lord of hosts. Right here, Haggai's pointing us to Christ. He's pointing us to the Prince of Peace. Somebody say Prince of Peace. Do you know what happened when Jesus got to be a young boy? The Prince of Peace himself walked into this temple. When God says, in this place, I will give peace, he's not lying. When Jesus appeared and was a young boy, this Prince of Peace went into this very place they are rebuilding into the temple, and his wisdom astounded the wise. As he grew up and he got older and he became an adult, Jesus no longer would, his message was not, his message was that he became the temple. You remember that? He said, hey, you tear down this temple in three days, I'll raise it up. What's he talking about? He's talking about his resurrection. He is the Lamb of God. Like a sheep led to slaughter as they would go and sacrifice at the temple. The, the Prince of Peace is coming. In fact, Jesus himself said, well, someone greater than the temple is what? Is here. Jesus said, I'm greater than the temple. I am the temple. We were in Revelation. John the Revelator tells us, hey, I saw the new heavens and new earth. And guess what? I didn't see a temple. There is no temple. For the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb, He is the temple. Man, this greater glory is far greater. This, this, this latter glory is going to be far greater than anything we could have ever imagined. Church, that's why it's not cliche to say our best days are ahead of us. The best is yet to come. Listen, Red Bank Baptist Church has what a history. What some glorious days, man. Cutting-edge orchestra, cutting-edge singles ministry. I mean, you can just look back. Cutting-edge TV ministry from 20, 30, 40 years ago. But I'm telling you, those days are going to pale in comparison to the future glory of our King coming. And these days are going to pale in comparison to the day when our King comes. Man, the best is yet to come. And, And in Haggai's day, he's pointing them to the coming Messiah and says, be encouraged, don't be discouraged. He says, my glory is not only going to fill this little temple, my glory is going to fill the whole earth. Every nation, tribe, language, and people are going to come into this temple that is the Lord Jesus Christ who is the temple himself. So if you're discouraged today, be encouraged. Be encouraged. Let's not camp out in the past. Let's work today because, hey, God's still on his throne and he's making his glory known today. So let's encourage one another. In fact, that's what Paul says. He says, hey, encourage one another in the fact that your king is coming. You can read about that in the letters to Thessalonica. He says, hey, you need to encourage yourself in the fact that Christ is coming. 
So that's the second sermon. It's a sermon of encouragement. Here's this third one, and this leads us to our fifth implication here. And that reads this way. Works without faith is as dead as faith without works. Works without faith is as dead as faith without works. Look at verse 10. Here's his uh, third sermon here. On the 24th day of the ninth month, in the second year of Darius, the word of the Lord came by Haggai the prophet. Thus says the Lord of hosts, ask the priests about the law. So this is a, a sermon of instruction, okay? And notice what he says in verse 12. If someone carries holy meat in the fold of his garment and touches with his fold bread or stew or wine or oil or any kind of food, does it become holy? In other words, can you transfer ceremonial holiness? If something is holy, if a piece of meat is holy and it touches uh, something that's, that's not clean, will it make it clean? And the answer the priest said is no, of course not. That's not going to happen. See, in their day, pork was unclean. Right? Anything it touched was unclean. Today, bacon makes everything better, doesn't it? Everything bacon touches becomes holy, doesn't it? Salad, soup, sandwiches, potatoes, anything, right? Bacon, donuts. Makes donuts better. Makes everything better. It's bacon. But the point here is that you can't transfer holiness. It's not something you can transfer. For example, if I, if I come sit down next to you and you're sick, you've got some cold going on, this change of weather, and you're sick, right, with a cold, and I'm healthy, I don't have a cold, and I sit there and you cough all up in my face, right, and slobber on me and all that stuff, I'm likely to get sick, aren't I? Probably, yeah. But let's say you're sick, you got a cold, and I'm healthy, nothing wrong with me, and so I come and sit down next to you and I cough all up in your face. Is that going to make you healthy? Is me coughing on you, me being healthy, gonna, is that going to transfer? Of course not. That doesn't work that way. And so here's the whole point of what he's saying here with this ceremonial uncleanliness. Because look what he says next about uh, after the priest answered no. Verse 13, then Haggai said, if someone who is unclean by contact with a dead body touches any of those, does it become unclean? And the priest answered, well, sure, it does become unclean. In other words, our sin, our uncleanliness affects everything. It touches everything and it affects all things. But you can't transfer holiness. You're not a Christian because you grow up in a Christian home. You're not a Christian because you come to church. It doesn't make you a Christian. You're not a missionary because you go on a mission trip. That's not how that works. You've got to be changed on the inside, right? Not the outside, but the inside. And their problem was they're working on this temple, and they're working. They're doing the work. So what are you saying? They're unclean. What do you mean, Haggai? Haggai answered in verse 14, so it is with this people. And with this nation before me, declares the Lord. And so with every work of their hands and what they offer there is unclean. Why? Because their hearts are not clean. Repentance starts in our hearts. But when you repent in your heart, your, your behavior is going to change. What you do with your hands is going to change. What you do with your eyes and ears and where you go and what you do is going to change if you truly repent. And they had not experienced that spiritual cleanliness. They we're trying to work without any faith. And so verse 15 says this, Now then, consider from this day onward, before stone was placed upon stone in the temple of the Lord, how did you fare? When one came to a heap of 20, there was but 10. When one came to a wine vat to draw 50, there was but 20. I struck you in all the products of your toil, with blight and with mildew and with hail. You did not return to me, declares the Lord. Consider from this day onward, from the 24th day of the ninth month, 
from this day, October 20th, 2019. Today you can have a new start. Today you can start anew. Today you can be born again. Today you can begin again. Today from this day forward, God says, I will bless you down in verse uh, down in verse 19, from this day on, I will bless you because you are turning back to me. You're repenting of your sin and putting your faith and trust in Christ alone. Otherwise, if you work with no faith, it does no good. It's just as dead as faith without works. See, God is wanting to rebuild a temple here, sure, absolutely. But more than that, he's wanting a rebuilt people. God is not just interested in peopling a building. He wants to build people. That's what he's saying. I want your heart. Yeah, I want you to work for me, sure, and serve me, yeah, but first I got to have your heart. I want your heart. So he's instructing them, hey, just because you're working with your hand, that doesn't make you holy. Just because you come to the temple and work, it doesn't make you holy. Give me your heart. Start today and I'll bless you today if you give me your heart. And then number six, here's the last implication. All servants pale in comparison to the suffering servant. This book ends in a majestical way. I want you to look at how this points us to our coming king. The word of the Lord came a second time to Haggai verse 20. On the 24th day of the month, speak to Zerubbabel, governor of Judah, saying, I'm about to shake the heavens and the earth and to overthrow the thrones of kingdoms. So now God is saying what he's going to do, not what they've been doing, but what he's going to do. I'm about to destroy the strength of the kingdoms of the nations and overthrow the chariots and their riders and the horses and the riders shall go down, everyone by the sword of his brother. On you, O Zerubbabel, my servant, somebody say, my servant. That is messianic language. You can go to Isaiah and read about the suffering servant. In the Old Testament, the way God would speak about his chosen one, Messiah, was in this language. My servant. And look what he says. The son of Shatil declares the Lord and make you a signet ring. That signet ring was a, was a sign of authority. That he had given Zerubbabel authority. And how many of you know, when you get to the Great Commission, the thing that leads out on the Great Commission is not go make disciples of all nations. It's all authority has been given to me. Therefore, for this reason, now you go. Jesus has all the authority. Jesus has the eternal signet ring, not just one worn in Haggai's day. Zerubbabel's name will fall off the pages of history. Jesus' name never will. You can go to Matthew 1 and you can read in the genealogy of Jesus. You'll find this Zerubbabel in that genealogy. This is absolutely pointing us to the Christ. That's what Haggai is doing here. That's what the Holy Spirit's doing through Haggai. Oh, Zerubbabel, my servant, the son of Shatil. Now, Jesus was not the son of, of Shatil. He was the son of the living God. God the Son. And he has all authority, and he has been chosen by God to be the one to deliver us from our sin and to set us free from our guilt and shame. And only he can do that. And the good news is, he's not only able, he's willing for anyone who will come to him. So remember this truth today. God is present with his people. You know, I had the opportunity to talk to a young man this week, and 
he came to me and said, look, I, I'm, I'm too guilty to come to God. You don't know what I've done in my past, and I'm too guilty to get to God. I just, I'm too guilty. So I sat down with him, and I shared the gospel with him and reminded him of Zephaniah last week. And then Zephaniah, it says that God has, I mean, it's clear as day, it says God has taken away the judgments against you. That In Christ, you're not guilty. In Christ, you've been deemed not guilty. And he said, well, I'm still just done too much. I'm too far from God. I'm too guilty. So I took out a sheet of paper and walked him through the three circles, and he folded it up and stuck it in his pocket. And he said, I thank you for that. He said, and so I talked to him a little bit more and finally asked him, I said, do you believe what the Bible says about how you can be saved and come to God? He said, yes, I do. I said, do you want to trust you? He said, yes, but I don't know how to do that. And so I led him through a prayer, but I told him, hey, a prayer's not going to save you. We're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And so he opened his heart and he prayed. And then he looked up and he, he, he looked up and he smiled. He hadn't smiled the whole time he was in there. He smiled and he said, man, I, I'm rejuvenated. I, I feel happy again. I have joy. He said, man, a burden's been lifted. I mean, he just, he was born again, right? Why? Because he responded to the Bible. He repented and God saved him. That God is now present with him him that's God's promise it's been his promise since the beginning he told Moses Moses said I can't go to Pharaoh who am I and God said I'll be with you I'll be with you again when they were leaving Mount Sinai to enter toward the promised land Moses said God if you don't go with us we're not going (laughs) we're not going Joshua he said Joshua just as I was Moses I will be with you be strong be courageous for I'm with you, and I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. Oh, and, and Gideon. I love Gideon. Gideon's a guy that needs a lot of signs from God. I'm gonna, you want me to take these guys and do what, God? You want me to overthrow them with what now? And so God told Gideon, he said, look, Gideon. And the Lord said to him, but I'll be with you, and you shall strike down the Midianites as one man. And then one man in the camp dreamed a dream. And the Bible said he dreamed a dream. And behold, a cake of barley bread, a biscuit, a biscuit. Cake of barley bread rolled down the hill to the Midianite camp and, and struck it, and it fell and lay flat. God destroyed them with a biscuit. Okay, with a biscuit. Now, it wasn't the biscuit. It was God's presence with them. Uh, we, Tanya and I are getting ready for hot dogs on Halloween in our driveway. We'll pull out the grill, have chili hot dogs, cupcakes, candy, all kind of thing for people coming by to build a relationship with our neighbors and that kind of thing. Looking forward to that. So she posted on her neighborhood Facebook, hey, hot dogs on Halloween, and gave the time and place and address and those kind of things and somebody responded to it in our neighborhood and and put on there and said if you've had your fill of hot dogs and cupcakes we're having biscuits and beer at our house that's a strange combination isn't it biscuits and beer wow strange but God used a biscuit but it wasn't the biscuit it was his presence with Gideon he has always been with his people and then he told his disciple he told his disciples I'm not going to leave you as orphans I'm not. I'm going to come back again. But if I don't go, the helper won't come. If I go, it's to your advantage. The helper's going to come. He's going to be with you. God never leaves his people alone. You may feel lonely today, but if you're in Christ, you're never alone. He doesn't ever leave you. He will never forsake you. In fact, he tells us in the Great Commission, and behold, I am with you. You. He told the people in Haggai's day, get busy with my 
business because I'm with you. He tells us today in Matthew 28, get busy with my business because I am with you. God is present with his people. So maybe today you're discouraged, you're distracted, you're disappointed, you're lonely. God is present with his people. Maybe you've